All right. But covering verses 7 through 17 today, 7 through 17, first thing we want to look at on your outline is uh, point number one. It says, Michael and the war in heaven. Michael and the war in heaven. That's, uh, if we look at just verses 7 through 12 there, they say this. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. Yes. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that, his time, uh, that he hath but a short time. Okay, so um, this last part here, we just see kind of a, a war in heaven. This latest segment, and if you look down on your paper there, letter A, says, to date, to date, Satan and his demons still have access to God's throne room. They can still be in heaven. Now, Satan was, was cast out. Jesus spake uh, to his disciples. And as a matter of fact, if you uh, look here at that first point under letter A, Jesus saw the fall of Satan. Jesus saw the fall of Satan. And in Luke 10, 17 through 20, I want to go back and, and grab those verses here real quick. It's Luke chapter 10, 17 through 20. Luke chapter 10, 17 through 20, it says this, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan falling, uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the uh, the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now he puts kind of a, a, a thing on that, you know, uh, sort of a, he said, yeah, they, they, they you know, they're subject unto you through my name. He said, but you need to really be more excited about the fact that your names are written in heaven. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. He said, he was up there and he got cast out. You, on the other hand, your names are written up there. You're not, you're not cast out. And that's where your, your home is going to be. So don't, don't get too excited about the things you can do, even through my name down here with these demons. Be more excited about the fact that they're not going to be there and you are. Because where do we deserve to be? With the devil and his angels in the lake of fire. So he said, you know, you're, you're putting the emphasis on the wrong thing. And sometimes, by the way, folks, as human beings, we want to do that. 
You know, we want to put the emphasis on the spectacular. We want to uh, put the emphasis on the phenomenal, the uh, extraordinary. Uh, We like the flashy kinds of miracles, and we want to see those kinds of things happen in our lives. And Jesus said, yeah, uh, they're subject unto you, but the bigger thing you need to be praising uh, me about and praising God about is, is the fact that your names are written in heaven. That's why superhero movies are so are so, uh, they get so much money, you know? They've got like, what are they, like Avengers 47 now? Something like that? Uh, I don't know, you know, Superman 50? Uh, you know, the, the, here's the, the deal. We like the flashy extravagance, you know? We like the, uh, the ability that uh, we have power and we can see these things. And, and, and God says, you know, it, you need to be focusing on what's eternal. This down here, as great as it is, is just temporal. And so there's a lot of denominations nowadays, by the way, who put the emphasis on the flashy gifts. And, and they want to see that laying on of hands and instant healing there and, 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 and uh, you know, people in wheelchairs coming down to see Benny Hinn and uh, get, get able to walk again. That makes a lot of money, if we're honest, but that's about it. It doesn't make for healthier people. And, uh, you know, I... I long thought that if those people could actually do the things that they're doing on stage, they wouldn't have time to do them on stage. They'd be visiting every children's hospital in the country, maybe even in the world. They'd be all over the place doing this stuff for free if it was really as easy as that. But he said, I've, I've seen the devil and his angels fall, but you guys are going to rise. Now, Number two, state, uh, Satan still came before God. If we look in Job 6 through 7, um, you know, you can look at those verses there, but basically what happened, he said there, there was a day when all of the angels came and they were basically giving a report to God, and Satan was among them. So Satan has access to the throne room of God. Satan's demons are apparently in God's presence. 1 Samuel 16, 14 says that God, there was an evil spirit from the Lord that was sent to plague Saul. So from the Lord or from the presence of the Lord, God sent him out. So so not only Satan, but apparently also the demons have had access to heaven. They can go and they can, because they're, they're sent, they come and go through the presence of the Lord. Number four, they must report to God and are kept around for the purpose of testing his saints. Sometimes we think that evil is somehow outside of the control of God. And yet he says, no, evil is going to be judged. That's what that big lake of fire is for. They're all going to end up there. But for right now, they're serving my purpose. They can only do what God lets them do. Other than that, they don't really have... Uh, any power or any authority. There's a limited reign that Satan has on the planet. Yes? Uh, For the purpose of testing his saints. Testing his saints. Yeah. So God sent an evil spirit upon Saul as kind of a judgment upon Saul. But what was that judgment upon Saul doing to David? It was testing him. It was a trial in his life. Let it be, this war with Michael and the holy angels will probably take place in the middle of the tribulation period. In the middle of the tribulation period. Remember, chapter 12 is sort of a broad panoramic view of everything from the birth of Christ 
through the tribulation period, the end of the tribulation period, stopping short of uh, that second coming there. It doesn't really get into that. So, and really, most of the church age is sort of glossed over. We, we see the rapture of the church, I believe, in uh, the, the taking up, the fact that the infant child or the baby is, is, is snatched up uh, before Satan can get it. We talked about that uh, last week in detail. Um, but about the midpoint of the tribulation period, and here's why. Number one, there's a direct correlation to the flight of the woman in verse 6 and the escape of verse 14. You know, verse number 6 tells that she, fle- she fled and was nourished in the wilderness the 1260 days. Verse 14 basically is a recap of that, saying, talking about how she was given eagle's wings. She's given wings. Wings in Scripture are, are frequently seen as a means of escape or at least a means of fast motion. You know, the, the leopard with four wings in Daniel's vision was able to, that, that was Alexander the Great, who basically conquered the known world faster than anybody else on record. And really, uh, if I'm not mistaken, faster than anybody else since. The guy was a brilliant, brilliant military commander. Not much of a ruler really wanted to, to, to conquer you know, there's a difference between conquering and ruling. One of the things, honestly, that uh, uh, aside from, I think, brilliant uh, military tactics and, is that uh, our military, when we defeated ISIS, you don't hear a lot about them now. It's basically kind of defunct. They conquered well, but they didn't rule well. Not long after they'd conquered an area, you'd, you'd hear stories about power outages and everything else. They just sort of let things fall apart. But... Um, so there's a difference between conquering well and ruling well. Alexander the Great conquered swiftly. Uh, the uh, Antichrist, by the way, will conquer swiftly. He's not going to rule that well. You know, his, his, his rule starts falling apart kind of there toward the end. He's got problems with uh, different people and armies that are, that are causing disturbances, and we'll get a look at that here coming up. But um, the indication is that soon as... He lands on earth. He will begin to persecute Israel. But verse 13 says, And when he saw, when the dragon saw that he was cast out. You know, that's kind of a a, a unique picture, isn't it? They continually talk about the heavens as above and the earth as below and to be cast out all that way. And he just lands on the earth and gets up like nothing happened. Physical laws really don't impact him very much. Spiritual forces do. So he can land on the earth as lightning, Jesus said, fast, that fast, boom, smack the earth and get right back up. Hey, you know, he's an angel. There are some people who see three archangels in the Bible. Archangel, uh, archangel one time being Satan or Lucifer, who was probably the angel of worship. The angel of music, which, by the way, is why a lot of the world's music sounds good because he can do that and he can use that ability that God's given him to lure people away from God, which is is a good indicator there of why we don't need church music that sounds like the world because it's got the same source. But Satan, archangel of worship, Michael, the archangel of war, Gabriel, the archangel of words, 
Some people classify them that way. Gabriel's always the one with the proclamations and the announcements. Michael always seems to be at war with somebody. He's at war with Satan here uh, in, the, uh, in heaven. Daniel shows him as having struggled with, uh, with an angel, probably the prince of Persia, probably Satan's demonic head or overseer of the kingdom of Persia when he was delivering a, an answer to Daniel's prayer. So there's, there's you know, kind of a hierarchy there, but the angel of worship went south. And as soon as he lands, he'll begin to persecute Israel. We'll see that in a little bit. But up until the time of the halfway point, Antichrist will appear to be the Messiah. We're going to get into Antichrist a little later. Uh, next week, as a matter of fact, the beast out of the sea. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Antichrist. Um, and just the, the, the way that, uh, that he is portrayed in Scripture. We're going to probably take a couple of weeks to get through this. Chapter 13 is only 18 verses long, um, and, and it's not going to be probably a strict textual exposition of chapter 13. There's going to be some other places that we're looking as well, and there's a lot of information about Antichrist. So we're going to kind of take our time on that so that we can, uh, so that we can explore that fully. But up until the halfway point, it will not appear that Antichrist is Israel's enemy. It's not until the halfway point that he breaks that covenant that we talked about. The letter C, the casting out of Satan's forces is cause for celebration in heaven. It's cause for celebration. Now, first of all, Satan has always been the great prosecuting attorney in the case against God's people. It says right there, the accuser of the brethren. Satan, one of the reasons that he's there is for legal record. You know, when, whenever there's a court case that's brought, uh, you know, you've got, an, you've got a defendant and you've got a plaintiff and uh, Satan is, is the one here. He's prosecuting the case. And uh, so we have a record in heaven of everything. Yeah, and you know, I, 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 it's, it talks about how the books were opened up and the great and, and the small de- of the dead were, were examined, the works and the names. Now, he's the accuser of the brethren. So, of probably a lot of these things that are written are court records. <laughs> from Satan standing before the throne of God day and night, accusing people of things. But when it comes to us, our justification, God's people, the accuser of the brethren specifically, what's he doing? Well, you know, <clears throat> your honor, uh, such and such did this yesterday and I've got witnesses and, 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 and you can be a witness to this and da 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 and there's a penalty that's owed and here's what's going on and and uh, about that time, he says, yes, you're right. There was, in fact, guilt. There's a debt that's owed. That penalty's been paid right there. And so it's a record that all of our sins are indeed covered by the blood. So he's serving a purpose even by being there making his accusations. Folks, it's probably the only time that Satan does not have to lie. But he's the accuser of the brethren. So he's always been the great prosecuting attorney, uh, attorney in the case against God's people. But number two, at this point, he'll no longer be able to do so. Isn't that good? He says, I'm done with you. And he's cast out. 
apparently not able to get back either because he has a sort of a, a, a spiritual temper tantrum, uh, which lasts for about three and a half years, and then it's over. But on the other side, uh, on the other hand, we see Jesus for the defense. And we kind of talked about this, but just somebody grab uh, 1 John 2, 1. And just quote that for me real quick. 1 John 2, 1. Amen. So we've got an advocate. So we have, a, we have a, an accuser and we have an advocate. A prosecuting attorney and Jesus for the defense. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good attorney. I understand he's never lost a case. You know, you'd be glad about that. You know, sometimes, sometimes uh, the devil likes to whisper back at you, I'm suing you for sin. I'm suing you for this. You know, you ought to tell him, talk to my attorney. I'm glad he's up there. I'm glad it's not me for my own defense. Every single one of us ought to be glad that we don't have to be our own defense before God. We'd have fools for clients. And by the way, there is a judgment seat at which that's the case. It's the great white throne, and we'll read about that later on. But number two here, point number two, we had, so we, we had Michael and the war in heaven. We've got Satan and the war on earth. Satan and the war on earth. Verses 13 through 17 says, And when the dragon saw he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened up her mouth, uh, opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood waters, uh, swallowed up the flood, I'm sorry, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. So, you know, that's an interesting picture. What do we normally see and think of as when a dragon casts something out of its mouth? It's fire. And here it's water. That's, that's noteworthy. And there's some varying opinions about that. We'll talk about those here in just a second. But first of all, letter A, the casting out of Satan's forces from heaven is cause for great sorrow on earth. Great sorrow on earth. Jesus mentioned this time in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 22, he talks about how, beginning at that abomination of desolations, he said the halfway point of the tribulation period that he's describing. You see that? You see basically Antichrist walking into the temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't even bother to pack a bag. Just leave. And so, uh, going on down there, we won't take the time to read that yet, but... Um, he said, leave, flee. Number two, it is the height of Antichrist's power. Now, I do want to look at Daniel 7, 25 and 26. Daniel 7 uh, is kind of a key, I think, in, in, in studying this passage. But Daniel 7, 25 and 26, it says here, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. You see this how in this particular passage, God continually referred to as the Most High. It's a contrast with Antichrist. 
It's a contrast with Satan who was thrown down into the dust of the earth, uh, who uh, in his attempt to be the most high, still he's the lowest. And the most high is still the most high. But it says, And think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and a dividing of times. One year, two year, half a year, three and a half years. Talking about that final uh, tribulation period, that final three and a half years of the seven. This is right after the breaking of the covenant. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion and consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of his kingdom, uh, of the kingdom under the whole heaven, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions shall serve and obey him. So here's the, here's the, the thing. You've got Antichrist who's going to basically go on a rampage. You're going to see a real change in his character. And folks, I'm not saying that he's going to be this smooth talker all the time. Uh, he's, he's conquering with words and ideas. But there, you're just going to see probably periods of just where, where uh, an overt wickedness just sort of shines through uh, periodically and it's sort of intimidation tactics probably at some point. Just, just we'll, we'll talk about this a little later. Just some of the things that the Scripture says. and You can kind of read between the lines. But, but at this point, this halfway point, um, things change dramatically. And the persecution is, is aimed at Israel. The woman that we've just seen. And so it's the height of Antichrist's power here. Oh, also uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 7. Almost got away without reading that one. <laughs> Daniel 12, verse 7. It says this, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left and unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth, Forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half a time, and when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So what's Satan doing? He's scattering him. He's driving Israel out into the, out into the wilderness, and the angel's saying, hey, it's just going to be for three and a half years, and then it's done. So there's that three and a half year connotation. And he's not doing any scattering, remember, in the first half, because he hasn't really broken his covenant. And right up to that first three and a half years, Israel is still able to worship in the temple and they're making their sacrifices and everything seems like it's going along well. But then it changes. Now the only thing that will stop him is the return of Christ. The only thing that will stop him is the return of Christ. Now I started with a, with a, a glimpse back through the, the scripture about when Jesus said, I saw the fall of Satan. Uh, you know, and also how God, Satan still has to appear and report before the Lord. But also in the book of Job, we see that he can't do anything that God doesn't first approve. So even here and now on this absolute rampage that we see so many millennia later, in that last week of Daniel's 70 weeks, even there, he's not able to act outside of the bounds of God's will. Because what's he doing here when he persecutes and when he scatters? He's accomplishing something, the scripture says. 
There's a time period that will be accomplished. And if we, uh, if we were to go back to Daniel chapter 9, we would review a little bit here as to what those 70 weeks are for, beginning in verse 24. 70 weeks are, de- are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city, so upon the Jews and Jerusalem, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. 70 weeks. Now between that 69th week, basically the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, and then the, the, the 69th week there and the 70th week, which is Antichrist's reign upon the earth, there's, you know, a lot of time. It's the church age. We haven't really seen that. But those 70, those 70 weeks aren't accomplished yet. And God's purpose in that is to just kind of bring to a close sin, to finish the transgression of his people. He's basically preparing them to accept Christ as Messiah, the one they crucified, the one they pierced. Now, let her be here, the woman will be supernaturally sustained for this entire period, that 1260 days, this scattering. Um, some people think about the, the flight into uh, the little stone city of Petra, their possibility, uh, maybe a scattering just out into the world at large. But she's going to be sustained supernaturally. Now she's given wings with which to escape. Deuteronomy 32, 11. And these are just you know, some verses here talking about God's use of wings. Deuteronomy 32, 11. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 11 says this, As an eagle stirreth up her, uh, her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth broad her wings, and taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did... Uh, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. Talking about Israel there, coming out of the land of Egypt. They're given eagle's wings. Yeah, eagle's wings, also prophetic of this last time. You know, we also see uh, Isaiah 40, verse 31. Very famous verse. They that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so uh, we see eagle's wings used here. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Between the running and the walking and, and the rest of it and the waiting, they'll renew their strength. Oh, by the way, why is it that we, why is it that we, we need to wait upon the Lord in order to have all that happen? Now, Jesus said, as soon as you see this happen, run. So he's telling them when they can run. He's telling them when, they, uh, uh, when those wings will be available for them. But why is it important to wait upon the Lord? Because if you don't, you're flapping your own wings. You're trying actually to do things in your own strength. And if you'll just wait upon the Lord, mounting up. How do eagles fly? Sometimes, sometimes eagles sitting on the ground will beat its wings and jump up and fly away. Preferred method for the eagle, though, is to perch up on some high mountain crag and jump off. Fold the wings out and soar. Eagles catch thermal updrafts and they just sort of spiral upward and upward in those updrafts. If they've got another predator that's trying to get whatever they've got, they just soar higher. If there's another little 
little pipsqueak bird who's, for whatever reason, giving them a hard time, they just fly higher. They'll fly into the sun. They'll fly up and up and up until the other birds have maxed out their altitude. He doesn't care. Waiting upon the Lord does that for us. You can try to make something happen in your own time all your life. It never will. But if you will wait and watch for the opportunities that God's word says come, then uh, life is a lot easier. You've got a lot more energy because you haven't wasted it trying to do it your way. Number two, she will be fed miraculously. She will be fed miraculously. Now, there's a point that I, I've, I've only seen MacArthur make. And he points out that by this time, the mark of the beast will be in effect. Uh, and persecuted Jews will probably not be offered the mark due to the fact that Satan wants them all dead. Now, that's something we don't really think about too much, but I think, I think he's probably right. The mark of the beast, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the beast, the, the mark of the beast um, is basically a, uh, on the right hand or in the forehead, which basically you're, you're not allowed to buy or sell anything without it. Um, I don't want to get into that right now. It's a huge, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But if Antichrist is persecuting then there might be a group that doesn't get it and doesn't have a choice about whether or not to have it. Great persecution. Gentiles, everybody else, hey, take it or leave it, but if you don't take it, you can't live. Jews, I want to get rid of you anyway. I'm not going to offer it. The, 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 the necessity, the miraculous feeding here is because there's not going to really be any way that they can get food. Although we do see in Matthew 25, when Jesus judges the nation of Israel, uh, you know, or actually he judges the Gentile nations, you know, that last half of Matthew 25, he says, hey, when, when my brothers or my sisters were in jail, you came when they were hungry, you fed them. So God's miraculous uh, provision could very well be, in part at least, through human agencies. People, they don't have the mark of the beast either. But... They got some food one way or the other, and they're going to share that with, with God's people. How do we how do, remember, remember uh, uh, Elijah? When uh, he was there, and the woman, the widow with her son, she had just a little bit of meal and just a little bit of oil, and he said, take care of me first. And she did. And she never ran out of food after that. There was always just enough. Just enough. Just enough. So possibly in like manner, God, during this last three and a half years, there'll be some, some uh, Gentiles who, well, we didn't take the mark of the beast and the food's about out. <laughs> now comes the Jew in need. And God says, if you'll take care of them, I'll take care of you. We also know that he fed them for 40 years in the wilderness with nothing but manna. Oh, and when they complained about that, he gave them quail that they could choke on. But that there was... This is not a foreign concept. They're going to be fed and they're going to be protected. Let her see the floodwaters from the mouth of the dragon may refer to several things. Uh, it may refer to false teaching. It may refer to false teaching. I believe, uh, yeah, uh, Dr. H.A. Uh, Ironside is uh, that he's going to, it could be false teaching. Um, it could be. Uh, that that the, the kinds of things, you know, he's going to be basically worshipped as God at that point. 
And he'll probably be spreading false doctrine about the Jews. You've got Muslims that do it today. Hitler did it for years. We've got college professors that are openly anti-Semitic. A lot of the mainstream media, a lot of entertainment. Of course, the irony is that a lot of those people are Jews. So it's not that hard to imagine it being possibly some kind of false teaching. It may refer to a great invading army. You know, Jesus talked about that in Matthew 24, 15 through 19. We also see it in Revelation 16, verses 13 through 16. A great invading army. What is water? Uh, Typically here in in the book of Revelation, a lot of times uh, we see water, a beast that arose out of the sea. What is the sea? Humanity. Um, you know, so, so out, of, out of humanity on the earth, there, there rose up one that stood like Saul, head and shoulders above everybody else, like Saul, who was well-favored and everybody thought should be the king, like Saul, after a while in office, loses his mind and starts to do the ungodly things. Man just has a different way of looking at things. But it could refer to a great invading army. We know that there will be a great invading army, the Battle of Armageddon. It may refer to simply everything that Satan does. I think John Walvoord made that point. Yeah. It may refer just to every, it's just everything. It could be, it could include false doctrine. Probably will, some smear campaigns. It involves a, 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 an invading army. It involves trying to starve them out. It involves... Many things. But Revelation chapter 12, I believe, starts off with the birth of Christ, skips a couple of millennia, at least so far, and goes right to the rapture of the church. Kind of skips by that first three and a half years because the idea is the persecution of the woman and that doesn't start until the second half. 